Hey everyone, welcome to Zonan Canada. I'm your host, Jesse Betteridge. Uh, I'm being joined today by two other people who uh, are not at Oticon this weekend. Um, back on the show for the first time, I think this is actually, Corey, is this your, I think this is only your second time on the show. I think I've uh, had you on once I think before. it's uh, third. Third? Okay. Uh, well, uh, we have Corey Barnes. Uh, Corey, it's, it has been a while. Uh, could you uh, maybe just introduce yourself to the audience? Okay, um, I'm a uh, director for the, uh, it's an upcoming show called Central Park from the creator of Bob's Burgers, mm-hmm. um, and uh, yeah, that's my day job. And you've worked on a lot of other stuff in the past, too, not in uh, directorial capacity. No, mostly storyboarding capacity. Um, like, uh, um, I, I was on Big Mouth for uh, years, and... Uh, which, by the way, just got a three-season pickup, so I'm happy three, for all those people. Three get... seasons, all at the same time. Yeah, and uh, uh, happy that all those people get to keep working for a while. Uh, uh, stability is rare in this business. And uh, joining us also is uh, Carl Olson. Carl, can you uh, give your usual intro? Or, or yeah. a new intro, if you want. It's new intro? I, well, I can say that since Corey's on the podcast, I can say relevant. And I've finally done something technically animation-relevant. Uh, I've helped Corey... With some storyboard pro automation scripts. Um, hey, that's right. Uh, yeah. Mm-hmm. Uh, so I've actually contributed something other than snark to the animation community for the first time ever. Uh, <laughs> it's a far cry from those Toon Zone articles. Yeah, no, that's pure snark. <laughs> Anime superhero, you mean? Oh, that's right. Yeah. I'm sorry. Yeah. I call it Toon Zone anymore. This is the first episode that we are recording. Uh, that has taken place after the uh, horrendous uh, arson attack that happened at Kyoto Animation. So I, I don't know if you guys really had anything to say about it, but I, I do feel we, we do have to point that out. Obviously, this is probably one of the biggest, no, this is the biggest uh, disaster that has happened probably ever in the animation industry. My my take is that we're, we're so used to hearing about all these terrible things happening um, around the globe constantly nonstop these days. What what really troubles me about this is that you can't you can't even connect this to any of, you know the the kind of modern anxieties that we uh, that we're bombarded with on a daily basis, or at least not the ones that we're we're so accustomed to. It just feels like it comes out of nowhere to such a huge degree, and you know it's something that could just happen any time. Well, it's especially surprising because like this kind of thing doesn't happen in Japan very often. It's the like the it's the largest mass murder. Since in like post-war era Japan, whereas like you know we hear about mass shootings constantly here in the states, so it's it kind of just like something like this would just roll off our backs in a couple of days and we just forget about it. The the pulse shooting was had more victims than this, but if you ask people what that was, a lot of them won't even remember. Um, but in Japan, this doesn't happen too often, and. Uh, uh, this is probably this is like going to be talked about there for a very long time. It's like just like the the uh, mass shooting in New Zealand, uh, not too long ago. It was interesting watching um Japanese news coverage of it on NHK World, and like they're like this this doesn't happen here. This is the kind of thing that happens in America, and then like they're further worried because it's like we thought we had a lid on this kind of problem because of gun control um, being so effective and strict in Japan. Um, but it's obvious that any idiot could, you know, basically people are saying like any idiot could go buy a bunch of gasoline and, and run up on a building. And like that was like there are people who really shook that they realized it's like, oh, there's a social contract that we don't even kind of realize 
we have um, around some things that like actually one uh, disturbed individual can like just upend things. And I think that was very, um, I don't know what like the long-term impact is going to be. I hope it's going to be a, a greater discussion of um, mental health in Japan because it's something that's been an ongoing, you know, like I think there's been open strides. Um, my impression from watching Japanese media over the past few years um, on that kind of thing. But I, I, that maybe this will put, I hope that what comes out of this is maybe sort of, uh, cultural proactiveness on it instead of it being something that gets kind of swept under the rug. But yeah, no, it's a real tragedy. I mean, the, just the, uh, the loss of information. Um, I mean, not completely unprecedented to have fires lose, you know, entire masters and stuff as has come out with the, uh, the Universal Studios fire, um, and all the music masters that were lost in that. But I mean, this is a singular studio and basically their history, um, Outside of the masters, that I mean, it's a good thing. The good thing is anime is an international industry with local distributors, so that there's you know lossless masters scattered around the world. But that's the backup now. Yeah, I mean, depending on on ownership, I'm not sure if the animation studio would even hold on to the masters of certain things. It's not it's not really clear. Um, True, but uh, but yeah, certainly whatever they were wor- the the projects they were working on at the time, like the Violet Evergarden movie, the Free movie. And I guess Dragon Maid season two. Uh, well, who, who knows if, if if those projects will resurface again? I know that there is a, a short Violet Evergarden film that is actually just starting to screen now in some parts in Japan, and uh, probably that's going to be uh, probably the last notable thing we see from KyoAni for a while. Uh, the future is just so uncertain for them right now. And they they did have two other studios as well, but they're much smaller. It's unlikely that um, that other projects would be backed up there, but. Uh, yeah, it's, it's really hard to say what's, what's gonna happen with that. Uh, Carl, you, you mentioned that, I, I guess you're talking mainly about NHK World. Was, was that the angle they, they went with a lot of the time? Was that, this is the kind of thing you'd expect to see in the United States? No, it was, that was what people were saying. Oh, okay. okay. Uh, that's like, you know, they're doing the man on the street kind of reactions, and oh, a lot of them okay. are like, wow, this is, this is not a, this is not a Japanese thing. I think longer term, Especially seeing, um, how NHK will do documentaries about the natural disasters and about, um, other big traumatic events in, in the, in the history. I, I do suspect there'll be probably documentaries, um, at the year anniversary mark or five year anniversary mark kind of going through what happened on these kind of things, um, in the future. Um, to be very interesting to sort of see how those are, um, this, well, to see the extent to which those are done too, because it doesn't happen for this because of, uh, it's very interesting to sort of see what does and doesn't get highlighted. Like they don't really do, I haven't, I don't recall seeing anything about like highlighting the uh, subway attacks, for example, which were previously kind of the, the, the high watermark in post, uh, post, uh, post-war Japan in terms of tragedy. Um, that was, that was, that wasn't a national, that was, that wasn't a natural disaster. And I think that's the other thing that's like perspective wise also blunts some things is like, this is terrible, but like they'll have, you know, monsoons that will destroy entire rural villages still to this day. Yeah. Um, uh, they'll, you know, and obviously the, the effects of the 311 earthquake and, and, uh, other major earthquakes. Um, I mean, the only thing that I can take from that is, is that there's a resilience, um, in the face of tragedy that, um, you know, it leaves me with hope for Kyo, for KyoAni. Like, I feel like if any studio can, can, uh, eventually rebuild from this, it's going to be 
them for multiple reasons, um, starting with the, the general Japanese culture, but then of course they were, you know, a, a highlight studio in terms of how they viewed their talent and staff. And I think exactly. in that way, um, you know, and that, that's not to say it wouldn't be, you know, it's like people are all like, uh, well, you know, why didn't this happen at some shitty studio? And like, you know, people immediately scolding people oh, on Twitter. Like that. <laughs> like, yeah, no, it's, you know, it's like all that's immediate, like be like, what the fuck's wrong with you on Twitter? Yeah. Uh, but no, I mean, because of the, because it happened at KyoAni, I think there will be, um, you know, it's, it's, uh, it's animation. It's a complex process to, to restart, but I do suspect we'll see something from them, you know, within the next two or three years. Um, well, there's been an uh, outpouring of donations as well from, uh, no, it makes a huge difference mm-hmm. from, uh, both, uh, I think you could donate directly to them. Uh, Sentai Filmworks has had that GoFundMe going for a while and, they uh, must have been t- to work out how to get that through with the least amount of red tape and taxes. I'm sure, I'm sure people are actually for once trying to get out of the way of any bureaucracy on this because of the nature of the tragedy. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's still yeah, right up to, uh, $2,271,920. Yeah, it's still not 100% clear how that's going to play out in terms of actually getting the money to them. But yeah, Carl, they, I think, I, I think are, you're, they do distribute their, uh, some of their products. So it's it obviously have like a direct line to them. Yeah, I mean it's not, it's not it's not my concern how uh, how, they, yeah. how they how they manage it behind the scenes as long as. Well, of course, there's those uh, the direct digital uh, downloads you can purchase of Kyoani like stills uh, yes. and stuff, which is uh, I think a great way for anybody who can't do the Japanese bank bank fees but want to make sure that there's just directly money going in there to uh, to support. Um, and maybe just kind of in general might be a good way to for people you know is uh, any for any studio. You know, if those kind of things are available and you want to make sure that studio, your work, the works that you like are being supported, that's pure profit for them. Yeah. And basically. Also, yeah. And also the, the day after this happened, I, I actually went to see the Cineplex screening of the Sound Euphonium film, mm-hmm. uh, despite the fact that I have never watched Sound Euphonium before. I had, I, um, but I went there and like this screening in va- downtown Vancouver, it was actually announced, I think maybe just a little more than a week before it happened. There were like screenings in like North Van and Langley that had been confirmed beforehand, but not one in downtown Vancouver. And despite that short notice, like, the theater was packed. We got there a little late, and we had to sit in, like, the front row, because uh, those those seats were filled. And, you know, I had no idea what was happening in the movie, because I wasn't familiar with any of the characters, but I'm, I'm still glad I saw it. It was a, a, a beautiful work to see in, uh, in theaters. Um, but, yeah, it was, yeah, people people were, were came out and supported and cheered yeah. at the end, of course. Um I think long term that'll be a key angle for support too. Yeah. Is the, the extent to which you can keep watching these shows on on streaming services legally, buying discs, supporting showings, trying to organize showings um, through film festivals and stuff. I mean, this is all the kind of thing that can help them can you know have long term support back, bouncing back. I mean, it's it's one of those things where you hope you know I hope this isn't the last time I hear about Kyoani on like global news, and it was now I never wanted to hear about them on Canadian news television. Yeah. Um, like that's, I mean, that started when the, I mean, it's, you know, it's interesting because having NHK on, like I knew very soon, um, that this had happened, um, because we have broke into regular, uh, broadcasting. Um, but it didn't really hit until I'm like, wow, Justin Trudeau's like making announcements. Oh, this is making, this is getting segments on the national and on global yeah. nightly. And like, you, you, you know, it's reaching into, you know, when something, ha- you know, this is, and it's, and it's good for the anime community to understand that, like, 
we don't get that attention as a community normally. So for this to have gotten that kind of international, you know, this is part of the nightly news broadcast globally, uh, in, 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 in countries across the world. Like this was, this is serious. Yeah. Mm. And of course the, the, like the, one of the most important angles you hear the most about, um, KyoAni is how, I think, as you mentioned before, Carl, how, uh, they actually, treated their employees well, which uh, sets them apart from a lot of animation studios. They actually have a staff rather than a bunch of uh, freelancers who are um, kind of just clinging on. And I, I'm kind of wondering what this is going to spell for the future, if, if this is going to have any kind of effect at all on working conditions. Because you had KyoAni before being able to set a good example for the rest of the industry. Um, I, th- I, think working- if, I, I think if they want... I mean, this is the flip side of it is, is if they continue that, they will have no problem filling the talent gap because they probably already had a lot of people who wanted to work there over other places but couldn't. And so I think they're going to – I think it's one of those things where they're going to soak up a lot of talent. I think the industry effect will be there's a lot of people who will be like both to show support and because it's a better place to be, we'll want to work at uh, the, the the reborn KyoAni. Um, like if I were an animator in Japan, that would be – Hands down, my goal versus versus most other studios, because just, you know, certainly before, but now after, you know, I think it would I think there's a lot of I think I think they're going to I think there's going to be a lot of people who want to support them and, and, and help them come back. And, you know, in no small part, because they know they will be um, it won't go unappreciated. Mm-hmm. Corey, did you have any take on that? Um, Carl said a lot of what I was uh wanted to say, but, uh, I mean, the, the other thing that's, uh, been pointed out a lot is that they are a, um, a studio that was, uh, uh, founded by women mm-hmm. and, um, mostly, uh, employ and helps employ a lot of women. And, um, that's one thing that's always been admirable about that studio is the fact that they have so many people who are just, who are full-time staff. And the only other studio I can think about or think that does that is like Studio Ghibli or Polygon Pictures. And like, that's it. And, and it's, and, uh, been able to do it because Kyoto Animation is actually one of the most, if any, it's actually could be the most, uh, like financially successful studios, anime studios. Um, most of their, most of the work they put out profits. Like they don't have to have like that one juggernaut that makes money and then there's like, you know, 60% of titles that don't make money, which is how a lot of anime studios in Japan work. But, uh, it's, I think it's like nine out of 10 KyoAni works, uh, make their money back. Yeah. I mean, it's almost kind of surprising more people weren't looking to them as a pattern because they showed that in fact, treating your staff well, having a, a, a gender balanced staff, having a work life balance, all of this shit pays dividends. You're not just making profitable works, you're making great works and those great works it's part of, you know, it's, it's all a positive cycle. You have happy employees who give it their best effort, which are not destroying them. So you're able to continually give you their best effort. And then you have better product to show for it. That doesn't just have immediate cultural import, but long-term cultural import. And you can build franchises off of that. Not many studios can build a free. Um, it's obvious that KyoAni could have, or, but, you or know, like euphonium. Yeah. Like these aren't things that like, I think every studio can pull off. I think for them, it's almost, inherent to their process like if any if anybody's going to do it it's going to be them um because they've put everything else they've put all the other um 
it organized everything else around optimizing that. I think not many studios can pull off an adaptation of something like Dragon Maid and have it go from being a really kind of trashy manga to something that's incredibly heartfelt. Um, still trashy on the corners, but like R- manga, the manga is not recommended for that one. Yeah, no, <laughs> especially if you but, like the anime. But yeah, uh, <laughs> no, but, but I mean, the thing is, is like not every studio can pull that off and then have everybody happy about it too. Like they did that, and it wasn't like fans of the original were pissed off. <laughs> Like that's the amazing thing yeah, is they yeah. can they can they have like a transformative power on their adaptations that I think no one else could like dream of pulling off. And I, again, I think it's another reason why they'll bounce back is because you know everything everything they do uh, has such a level of quality and passion and respect for the form that um, the idea that you're going you know it's it's the the heart of it's stronger than any attack on it. Um, you know, uh, it's not going to be, it's not going to be an overnight thing. Like when that, uh, satirical comic in, in, in France was, was shot up, like, yeah, you're not going to come back in the next month with who's left. Um, it's just different lead times on these kind of things, but I expect to see the same kind of bounce back. Those people aren't going to be held down, um, yeah. because they have a passion for the work that's, um, unparalleled. Yeah. And going back to, um, just the production conditions. Another thing that KyoAni, uh, one thing that defined them in terms of working conditions and productivity uh, was that they they usually had entire shows in the bag uh, months before broadcast, which is something you yeah. just never see. Yeah, Ever production was done months before it aired. Yep. No, and that's that's why that's why everything looks good. There's you know it's hard you know if the whole idea was you had it done months in advance. If they if you had any cuts that came back that were if you were planned like that. Yeah, any cuts that came back a little bunk, you had breathing room to fix it. And you yeah. didn't, and, and since you weren't overstressing your staff to start with, the odds of you having a bad cut was slim. And then the odds of having the bandwidth to go back and fix it were incredibly high. So yeah, everything looks good because you, you know, it's one of these things where it's like if you, you know, it's, it's something that's, it's reflective of greater Japanese work culture. It's like everything's like hyper long hours and, you know, getting done last minute and stretching and, Yet the companies that thrive are the ones that buck that again and again and again. The companies that thrive in Japan are the ones that are like, no, just treat people right and have like reasonable conditions. And then, yeah, quality yeah. follows. Like Polygon Pictures, like the, they interviewed the owner of that place and he said one of the rules is like, everyone goes home at 10. That's a good rule in an animation studio. Uh, yeah. Well, because otherwise you'll have people deal. It's like, I just, I was 30 or 48 hour day and then for some reason I was hospitalized. <laughs> like, uh, yeah, it's ridiculous. Yeah, of course you got bad cuts in that situation. You, you know, you're 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 shot at the end of like 16, not 48. Jesus. But yeah, no, I've, I've it's a tragedy, but I do. I mean, I do have hope for for Kiyomi. Um Oh no, I uh, me too. Like, uh, I don't know if they like this is getting into like in. in you know, were they insured or did they have, you know, offsite backup for any of their work? I know that a lot of materials were destroyed. Um, in a case like a studio where I, the studio where I work now, like if, if our studio building was burned down and we lost all our, our uh, material, well, it's all backed up offsite mm-hmm. because we're all digital. So I, I don't know if that's the case with that. I know they still, a lot of anime studios still work on paper a lot. There's still a lot of paper. I mean, that's part yeah. of apparently why it tore through things. And I wonder if that'll be another kind of, there are aspects of how that building was laid out. Like, I think, I mean, you know, um, I'm sure, the, I'm sure details like that are going to be dissected by the media for months. 
and it's also one of those things where it's like every fire code, every safety code, every regulation on the books is usually formed out of uh, some kind of a tragedy. Um, so, you know what, maybe we'll see out of these things, um, you know, different kind of buildings for animation studios in Japan, different kind of regulations, mandatory sprinkler systems, like, who, like you know, go down a laundry list of things that may change in the wake of this, or at least certainly if QNE rebuilds, there's going to be like a laundry list of things that they want, even if they don't become something more widely adopted in Japan. Um, but that is the nature of um, this kind of stuff. I mean, that was, you know, another side of this discussion that I think didn't so much come up on anime Twitter specifically, but just sort of generally in terms of people who like talk about OSHA stuff and whatever online. It's like, yeah, this is, that building was shit. That was a death trap. Um, and, but out of that may come a greater realization. It's like, yeah, there's been massive improvements in Japanese building codes because of other disasters. Yeah. Particularly around seismic. Um, some, you know, like the health programs on NHK and it's amazing. Some of what, um, their engineers have developed, uh, to make things possible um, in such a seismically active area. And maybe this is going to be something where it's all like stronger fire codes and, and those kind of things um, and, and, and stronger pushes for retrofitting in, in older and older buildings and such. I mean, I think it's the flip side of this strategy is, is like, it's not that this kind of thing couldn't happen in the States, but if somebody tried the exact same thing, the odds of it being in a building that didn't have um, proper fire code stuff would be pretty limited because we had, you know, we had triangle uh, waistcoat fire in the States and, uh, that tragedy changed rules a long time ago. Um, but so hopefully that comes out of this. Any, any last thoughts on this while I try to find a way to transition to a different subject? <laughs> hey, Jesse, speaking of sound euphonium film, I heard you ran some films recently. I, I did, um, I did run a film festival recently. So, well, it was a one day film event at the Van City Theater. Uh, no, no Kyoani films at the the festival. Although uh, Van City Theater did have earlier this year the only um, Canadian screening of Liz and the Blue Bird, which I was not able to see because I was at work at the time that they were screening them. Um, but I was in contact with them around that time, and I just inquired about the possibility of you know just having an anime film a full a full day just devoted to anime films. And uh, there was a lot of wrangling that went on, but we uh, we managed to pin it down on on June 30th, um, so a long weekend. Uh, long weekend Sunday, um, and, it, and it went really well. Uh, everything, good turnouts for every film. We ran um, Penguin Highway. Uh, that sold out. Um, the the first Made in Abyss film uh, did fairly well. And then uh, the Girl Who Left Through Time, English dub, uh, which was produced by Ocean Studios in Vancouver, and also the uh, Canadian premiere of Millennium Actress. It was almost the North American premiere, but uh, Akon, unfortunately, beat us by one day, uh, which was a little disappointing. Uh-huh. But, hey, Eleven Arts still promoted uh, us. Well, actually, they, they promoted us as the Canadian premiere. And then in the same breath, they promoted Anime Expo's screening of it as the West Coast premiere, which is not correct. Yeah, but, it's, uh, it's the same coast. Yeah, same coast, last time I checked. <laughs> um, but, yeah, uh, it was, uh, yeah, they, they went really well. With Girl Who Left Her Time, we were hoping to have some of the actors uh, who worked on the film actually come and do a Q&A. Um, but unfortunately it didn't, it didn't work out, uh, but we, you know, we still wanted to screen the, uh, the English dub because it was, it was done in Vancouver and, uh, you know, that, that work is worth showcasing and that, that particular dub came from a real high point of, uh, of Ocean Studios, um, anime output as well, I think in the late 2000s. Um, and actually they, at the end, uh, right before the film started, they, they announced that there was going to be a Q&A, but it was canceled and everyone in the audience was very disappointed when they heard that news. Um, 
it probably would have been better not to say that. But uh, yeah, um, overall it went pretty well. I'm hoping. I think. I think there might be plans to do it again. I think. I think Van City Theater is planning to do the second uh, Made in Abyss film, which will be good for Vancouver at least because uh, Sentai Filmworks stuff is not really getting to Cineplex theaters um, at all. I think there was um, like last year there there was like that the um, the Chunivio movie that was a that Azoland had announced for. Canadian theaters, and then they went back on the announcement and canceled it, which uh, was was really disappointing. It seems now though that Sentai is mostly getting stuff into into cons. Um, I know that uh, Anime Revolution is is planning a couple of um, to screen a couple of their films uh, in a couple of weeks. I know, I know they're doing the uh, is, is it wrong to pick up girls at a dungeon movie and uh, the Utapri and I think I think even even a couple other things maybe as well. Um, I don't know about that strategy about just relying on conventions to do that kind of thing, but I mean, it's not the worst thing, but it's, um, I think the main thing is, is that we're now, uh, at a point where anime has enough cultural reach that forcing people to go to a con to see a screening seems kind of shit when you're, you know, sure. It's like a planning thing. Um, especially, I mean, at this point, you know, like the Sentai guys are the ADV guys. They know everybody at every convention forever and have for the last two and a half decades. This is easy for them. I don't blame them. Um, especially since they're the, probably the largest studio now without a giant, uh, mega corporation backing them. So, you know, I get it. You're not Sony Funimation. You're not Time Warner Crunchyroll, but still. <laughs> yeah. I mean, they're tied up in Verve now, so who knows what's going to come of that. Um, well, tied, like they are, they are using Verve as sorry, a just, high just dive to, is tied up in Verve. I, so, I dive, I, I dive, yeah. the completely unrelated entity to Sentai Filmworks that just happens to screen all of their <laughs> just happens to stream all of their stuff. Yeah, no, and I mean, and even then, high dive is tied up in them in as much as it's like it's like when Funimation, before they were part of Sony, were buying Sony uh, services for streaming as a white label thing you know it's like it's they're using them as a technology lift they're not at this point as far as i know any sort of integrated it would be amazing if um after years of uh adv folks talking about like one of these days if we ever get offered fu money we'll sell out to a giant corporation it's like if that was eventually just put them under the same roof as <laughs> adult swim and crunchy roll but yeah. um yeah i'm hoping that there'll be more i'll have more opportunities like I did with that film festival. Um, I, I like I said, I think there, there there may be plans to do another one soon. We'll see, because uh, there's still so much stuff that's not getting released in Canada at all. Yeah, it's, it's not just uh, Sentai Filmworks. There's um, uh, like the Love Lot, the new Love Live Sunshine movie. I'm not history is repeating itself. Uh, there are no Canadian screenings planned which for that. Is, which, which is nuts because the Love Live Love Live fandom up here is obsessive. It, it okay, so it is nuts for several reasons. Every single one of the those untranslated, um, delayed lives have screened in Canada so far for Love Live Sunshine. So which means that Cineplex is willing to is it willing to screen and make money off of these untranslated, idle performances, but they will not screen the actual source material uh, for them. Which is nuts. Yeah, and uh, well, it's not like those like they wouldn't continually screen those if they were empty, no. but they're regularly filled. <laughs> yeah, well, and apparently the lack of Canadian screenings isn't the only problem with those Love Live release. Apparently, there's huge areas in the United States that aren't getting the screenings, like 
It's it's badly planned. Isn't there um, like like none near San Francisco or something like that? Yeah, that's what I've heard. Just like that, that's also ridiculous. That is like, like literally just yeah. Crunchyroll and Viz's staff would fill that out. Yeah. <laughs> and I don't know if if Funimation is even working with Fathom Events on that one. I think they're just going directly to the theaters. And also, interestingly, their screening of that film is one week after the Blu-ray release in Japan, which that that sounds like their hands are being tied. A bit. A bit. If that is what it is, you'd think that the Japanese companies would realize that part of the alchemy of making anime theatrical screenings work is to get the film into theaters before the home video release happens in Japan and everyone just starts pirating it. Yeah. Like, that's that's the whole basis of how this, why this stuff has been successful. I mean, it's one of those things where eventually, much as simulcasting has become um, the norm for shows, and even tiny three-minute, like, nonsense shows, um, films are going to have to eventually simul-release. Like, that's got to be the long-term lane, because they will make the most money that way. And... I know that's tricky to organize and it's not, you know, it's, it involves a lot of planning, which anime studios, uh, as we mentioned earlier, are sometimes incredibly adverse to, but it's how you're going to make the most bank. It's how you're going to build the most hype. It's how media works these days. It's the bot, you know, that's the, them's the breaks. Well, some companies, what they'll just do is they'll, they'll like sell, sell it off to Netflix or something. Cause then they can say, yeah. Oh, well, it'll stream globally at least. Yeah. It won't show in theaters, but. I mean, that would still be, I mean, I'd actually say it's still preferable to like a shoddy theatrical release, but it's still, you know, it's still not a good theatrical release would be the best. Yeah, I remember. Especially after, because for a lot of this stuff, they really do put in, you know, even for something like Love Live, the theatrical shit looks way nice. It's nice to see it's, it is worthy of that big screen consumption. <laughs> Yeah, I remember they were gonna, like, the full Metal Alchemist live action movie was supposed to be, like, biggest global theatrical rollout of any Japanese movie ever, I wanna say. But, like, then they said, ah, fuck it, we're gonna sell it to Netflix. <laughs> they gave up on that plan quick. Yeah. <laughs> they watched the movie, probably. <laughs> oh, <way>. damn. <laughs> yeah, it's, it's bad. It's really bad. <laughs> um,. So yeah, uh, that we'll we'll see what happens with that. Uh, actually, the the last time I did a podcast on when way back near the beginning of when we started this show, and I did, I did a podcast episode on that first Love Live film not getting released by NIS, and I think it's the one time where I've actually had some kind I've been able to make some kind of impact with this show because I think that is what got a lot of people talking about trying to push to get the film released here and we did get, and we did get it like i'm surprised that people aren't angrier about it but again i think it's i think it's also being the 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 problems with getting the film released in canada are kind of being overshadowed by the other problems with that release in the in the u.s it's it's just a big gigantic mess overall so it's a big you blew it yeah <laughs> they totally blew it um i saw um promare at anime expo Speaking of movies that are going to get screenings uh, soon. Yeah. Um, well, um, if you like Gurren Lagann, uh, those guys made Gurren Lagann for the third time. It's all the same story beats, but <laughs> a, lot of, a lot of CGI now. Uh, it relies very heavily on CGI. Yeah. Um, yeah, no, it, I saw a uh, thing on... Um, on NHK, uh, talking about the the sort of the behind the scenes on that, and it seemed like it was definitely a bit of um, a lot more CG, and they said it was much more Western, and like they were like we were really going for something more Western, and it's influenced this time. 
or yeah, stuff. The, the color palette, especially in the backgrounds, is uh, it's a little more um, Western graphic novel e comic. I was reminded of like the Venture Brothers background color palette when I was looking at those backgrounds. But I love that CG was done by a studio called X Flag. I'm not familiar with their other works, um, but uh, G Kids licensed it for North America. They have all the American uh, screenings planned out. They uh, their Twitter account says that they will be screening in Canada, but there aren't any. Uh, uh, oh, they, they did confirm that on July 8th on their Twitter. It says yes, Promare will be in Canada. Details to come. Oh, okay. uh, <laughs> that's 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 like uh, just perfectly vague. Yeah, I. I, I, I I did, I did. I missed that, so that's good to know. I, I yeah, I was, it was, I was it was pretty. In a reply. I, it was in a reply to someone. Oh, uh, oh okay, yeah. So yeah, I'm I, pretty. Uh, I was pretty. I was pretty confident they would get that one um, in theaters up here. But they, yeah, they, do you have a good track record with Canada screenings. They're actually not as good as you might expect. Oh. Um Last year, I don't think they got anything uh, in theaters. La- oh no, they did. Was if Mary and the the Witch's Flower was that 2018? That uh, if if that was 2018, that was the only thing they got in theaters last year. Um, okay. Was that they're they're much like it, it blows my mind as, as I think um, Randy and I were talking about this uh, in, a, in a previous episode. How they understand the exact formula for you know always guaranteeing an Academy Award nomination for yes. at least one movie every year, but they can't consistently get their films distributed in canada which 11 arts is actually much has a much better track record even though it looks like we're not going to be getting a cineplex screening of uh millennium actress g kids will will they did get okos in in uh in theaters this year uh they did they did get another um ghibli event in cineplex as well and it looks like promare will happen as well unless uh yeah. unless they pull an azolan chinibio thing on us and, and go back on that announcement which i, I don't expect uh g kids has some other films coming out as well yeah uh, they're, gonna, they're pushing for an award with uh weathering with you which is the new makoto shinkai film but they're going to do the award qualifying run this year that makes sense that, that is screening at toronto international film festival um that's actually where its north american premiere is going to be uh the the new yuasa film uh, what's it called again? Uh, I, don't, I don't remember. He he puts out a lot. <laughs> he does put out a lot. Um, he's a productive guy. Because he got they had his other they had um they had Lou over the wall, didn't they? They did. Uh, yeah, they did Lou over the wall. Yeah, did, did not get they a, had a short walk on girl is also theirs. So Lou over the wall did not get a Cineplex screening, but it did show up in independent theaters across the country. Uh, Ned is Short Walk on Girl did not screen across Canada. The only screening it got was actually in Vancouver at Van City Theater, uh, which ah. is insane. I still can't believe that that happened. Um, sorry, the new U.S. film is Ride Your Wave. Yes. So I don't know what's going to happen with that. Um, G Kids' track record with getting Uasa films into Cineplex has been very poor. I don't understand why. Um, I expect at the very least that one will probably show up in like independent theaters across Canada. Um, I don't know about about Cineplex. We'll It'd be see. nice if they got it in sooner than later because it's like you know it's about surfing and stuff. It's a summary film, you know. If like, you like wait till like oh let me rent like oh we got it we got it we got it playing in November. Be like nah. <laughs> any any like like summary movie with very refreshing re- refreshingly looking rendered water. Is always more satisfying to watch when it's when it's like balls hot out in the summer. Yeah. But yeah, I don't think we're going to be getting that one till the fall, unfortunately. Mm-hmm. 
Yeah, and then there's a what, there's another film. I um, Children of the Sea, the new one from Studio Four Degrees Celsius. Okay. Yeah, uh, I would have. To, I, I I'm sure the director has done other things. I, I have to double check that, but uh, that's another one. G Kids is pushing out. No idea what uh, what's going to happen with that one. So, uh, Carl, uh, you 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 finally had a chance to check out some of uh, Adult Swim Canada on uh, Stack TV. Is that correct? Yes, I, I did yeah. the, the month-long trial of Stack TV, which is a, um over-the-top uh, channel offering that you can get when you already have Amazon Prime. And it's um, if you actually pay for it, it's like, I think it's like 14 or 15 bucks yeah. a month. But you get um, all of the local global TV feeds, plus global news, plus like Food Network, Teletoon, um Treehouse, YTV, Cartoon Network, uh, Adult Swim Channel, um, and then like some other stuff that I'm, I'm drawing a blank on, like some reality, more reality show type stuff. Um, so I tried that for a month and then I didn't bother to pick it up because I'm like, this is not worth $15. Um, if I'm going to get, get back into subscribing for linear television, I'll probably look at like, uh, Telespic TV. Um, but it was, um, it was interesting. Uh, Adult Swim Canada was, uh, you know, I'll, I got to give credit to to their scheduling and just being like, you know, it's noon, time to run Loiter Squad. Like that's <laughs> that's fantastic. Like it's you know, like that was nice. Um, in terms of how it integrates into Fire TV, it's a huge disappointment to me, relatively speaking, because um, Fire TV has these things now where it will. Certain apps can then sort of populate if they've got linear content, they can populate that into um, the channel listing um, on the Fire TV. So it's like you can flip through it. Um, and uh, Pluto TV, which doesn't even really like run anything close to the depth of lineup that it does in the U.S. up here in Canada, integrates perfectly. So it's like you can drop through and start flipping through channels. And I was like, oh, it'd be super slick if like just how there's Pluto listings, there's like the Slack listings and or Stack TV listings in there. There's not. Um, to be fair, not every, like, you know, NHK world has a linear channel and doesn't integrate that way, but it's also the one thing in the app. So I'm not choked about it when it's sort of like, I've got to get into a menu to get into a menu to finally get to the linear speeds. I'm like, no, you should be trying to surface that stuff up easier. The thing about stack TV, uh, is that when it was first announced, we mm. were, um, all kind of under the assumption that it was going to be chorus's uh fall or uh yeah chorus's follow-up to show me which yeah. uh, has been has been gone um and it, and it kind of presents itself as a on-demand streaming option but it's not it well is, i mean there is there there is on demand there but it's pretty it's on demand just the way that on demand is on like cable so it's exactly. like here's what's run recently it's not Here's a whole catalog from that channel. Yeah. And again, that's really hard to justify at like $15 a month. Yeah. And there are ads in the. Uh, oh yeah. Well, I mean, there's yeah. going to be ad, there's in ads the in the, on, there's, there's ads in the on-demand stuff and there's ads in the linear. And the ads in the linear are fine because it's the same feed that's going to the rest of the cable companies. The ads in the on-demand at 15 a month on top of again, paying for Amazon Prime. No, no. Well, that's, that's the thing. People, people, when you're getting something through Amazon Prime, you're going to assume that this is like a standard kind of online, over-the-top streaming option. But it, what it actually is, it's just a way to subscribe to television services through a streaming provider. and Without it integrating well as television yeah, services. Exactly. Because it's <laughs> on the surface, it is a um, an, an over-the-top online streaming service, but it's actually you know mainly 
television subscription, which is not what people will expect. Probably not what they will understand when they're well, when well they're especially and it, and also it doesn't necessarily integrate well. Like I said, yeah. like that's the biggest thing. It's like it's one thing if that stuff is there, but it has either enough depth that you don't care that you're living inside of that app, so you have like more channels, or um, you don't have that many channels, but they're 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 easily surfaced. I don't have to dig to finally get to the linear stuff, or I don't have to, or it's easy enough to get to the on-demand stuff. When it's all like I gotta go to this to go to this, like no, it's just like you can't be. It can't be a chase. And like, if they ever better integrate it with that ecosystem, which I mean, that's the other thing. It's like, it'd be one thing if Stack TV was a surface, ser- uh, service you could get and, uh, run anywhere, right? Um, the only way that you can run it is either through, uh, Amazon's like online stuff or through Fire Stick. So it's like, okay, so it should really integrate, you know, it's really meant for Amazon's platform. Why is it, it why is it not integrated well with that yeah. platform? You know, it's not like, it's, you know, it doesn't have the excuse that other, like Netflix is better integrated to Fire TV than, um, than Stack is. And that's totally backwards. <laughs> yeah. But mm-hmm. as things stand right now, if you want to access Adult Swim Canada, it's a, um, it's a, it's a super reliable way. Yeah. And honestly, you know, if you, don't, if you don't have a TV subscription and you want to access Adult Swim Canada, that is probably, this is probably going to be, Actually, it's, actually it's, I, I don't it's, know if it's, it's going to be your best option because if well, you're on it, Telus, get the Pick Five. <laughs> that's a, yeah, yeah. That's if you're on Telus, get Pick Five value. instead. Yeah. Um, but other, I mean, but that flip, the flip side with Pick Five is, is then you are you've got that that's that one device. If you want it on multiple devices, um, I will I will concede it's like so long as you're fine being in Amazon Prime Video World. Yeah. Um, you can t- stack TV is a, a solid way of doing it. Um, it's you know, fifteen isn't. 15 Canadian isn't the worst thing a month. You know, I'm sure most people here spend more on other bullshit. Um, it's just, is it the best money that you can spend on media? No. Also, also <laughs> worth considering that Amazon Prime is still, like, substantially cheaper in Canada than it is in the U.S. Yes, but I mean, that's the other, but that's the other side of it, though. That's the other side of that, though, is, is also, it's like, you already have Prime. You already have a lot of great content to watch. So you have to say, I want this other specific content on top of it. <laughs> The way I interpret that is that Amazon has had a very tough time uh, actually breaking into this market. I think and, it's the problem yeah. is, is that Amazon's depth of of other stuff here, not just in terms of content for that service, but also just like I want to buy item from Amazon. Um, there's not as much, and oftentimes it can't get to me as quickly. So you can't charge the same premium as you can in the U.S. because it, you know the depth of what they can offer is easily. 10 times slimmer and it's not as, you know, they don't have the volume discount, so it's not as cheap. And unless you're lucky enough to live in basically Vancouver or Toronto, and even then it may still not be in the local warehouse, but odds of you getting it with like the super quick prime, like is not great. Like I, I ordered a phone recently. I have prime. Um, and it should bounced around, uh, postal system for two weeks before it got to me uh, on Vancouver Island with prime. Yep. <laughs> so that's why you, you can't, that's why you can't charge, uh, you know, even the same number in Canadian dollars for prime, uh, as you can in the States, uh, for prime. It's not like they, the service is simply not up to snuff. Um, and it will be a while Re- regarding adult swim Canada specifically. I mean, it was like, I mean, I feel like it's, if they ever want to flip that model to the U.S. network, that would be like if they ever wanted to add a, you know, like, well, we're going to just like 
roll TNT or TBS into one thing and then we're going to have an Adult Swim channel or something. Um, you know, if they ever re- reallocate their ch- channel space, because there's no way you add a new digital channel in 2019. Yeah, not, not 2019. No, no. That, that shit isn't happening. So if they yeah, ever, if, they'll, if, sooner, if, they'll sooner destroy an existing channel. Exactly. And, uh, change what they did with Spike TV. Yeah. No, if they ever Spike TV, basically, if they ever Spike to Paramount something to X to Adult Swim it, this is a great start, and you just add tsunami and like print money. <laughs> yeah, mm. they, I, in the previous episode, I did mention that they were running ads during five minute, or sorry, eleven minute programs. It does appear that they have stopped doing that. I don't really know what the situation was. Sure, that was they set their thing wrong because <laughs> we know they, that they we know there is a human inter- intervention at that station. It, po- po- possibly. <laughs> Maybe maybe they listen to feedback. I think they are still making small improvements to the station now and again. I I also think that the uh, the ad break issue because they still splice additional ad breaks into thirty minute programs. I think they like the people who actually run the station are fighting that because um, I was because they do only run they run the ad break the, the proper like Adult Swim one in the middle one at the end of the program kind of format properly with Rick and Morty because yeah. it and from what I've heard from them they said that they. Uh, they're looking into trying to get that format in other programs. So I think that, uh, you know, the way Core sells ad advertising space, uh, they don't do it by program. They do it in ad blocks throughout the day. So they're going to make a deal. They're going to make a deal with advertisers that will run your ad X number of times throughout the day. And then more slots they have to do that, the more money they can get. It doesn't matter what the program is or what the actual ratings for the program are a lot of the yeah. time. Um, that's a lot of ad sales work in Canada. Well, that's that's very common. Like yeah. even down here, radio does it a lot too. It's just like yeah. there's certain prime slots for like you know new shows and premieres and prime time in general. But then there's like then there's just the rest of the day, which is just you know mass ad filler where you can buy tons of blocks of time for not a lot of money per per individual slot. And then you have like overnights, which a lot of times are just like make goods or just like giveaway time for uh yeah for, like, bar- or for bartering or run a schedule type ads where it's like we have to run this so we'll run it in the cheapest spot yeah any yeah. any ad anything where they're like legally you have to run this many psas it's like get ready to listen to like a trillion psas around about 4 a.m on any a.m station in the united states uh-huh I appreciate that they're that they're still making some, some small improvements. Also, one thing I noticed on the uh, the August schedule, uh, which is just starting to come out now, is they they haven't gotten rid of those uh, Hollywood movies that they run throughout the day, but they have moved the, they're moving them earlier on the weekends so that they're a little further away from you know the 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 prime Adult Swim 8 p.m. plus hours. They were actually starting to you know uh, go 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 past 8 p.m. a lot of the time. Yeah. So I think they are they are sensitive to those kind of concerns and they're still making little adjustments here and there. They're also running they also are running more promos for uh, premieres as well, even though they haven't been able to get uh, two of the last major Adult Swim premieres because they are Netflix exclusives. Um, Mike Tyson Mysteries and uh, and Final Space, which are tied up in deals that were made before. Uh, yeah, and to, to be fair, Final Space uh, didn't start out on Adult Swim either. Um, yeah, TBS just decided to have fuck all this cartoon bullshit. They gave up on that really quick. It's bad that we get so screwed on the Netflix stuff. There, 
the, their premieres of um, the Jellies was were not in line with the U.S. because they're supposed to be day and date. Yeah. Um, they delayed season two and just ran season one again to take up the time it would have run to uh, to run Mike Tyson mysteries. But it looks like everything's going to align again when Squidbillies comes back in yes. August. So there was a to look forward to. content well, issue with an episode of the Jellies, and they had to keep uh, delaying it and delaying it over and over until they were finally able to run it. Wow. Oh, okay. Maybe that's, that maybe that factored into it as well. That's mm-hmm. interesting. Yeah. What did Tyler do? It's so 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 uh, transgressive. Oh, <laughs> uh, I don't have it right in front of me, but I think I don't want to say it had something to do with the Wu Tang Clan. But oh, I think okay. There's something like there was like a name issue with the uh, uh, Clan or something that they had to like go back and change an episode. Uh Yeah, but apparently all the premieres coming up in Adult Swim soon, like Squidbillies, more Robot Chicken. Yeah. Um, what what else is coming up? Uh, Rick and Morty and Primal. Yeah, so that's all stuff that you know, obviously, going to be no problem. Uh, well, and, and, and on, plus, uh, Adult Swim Canada, Canada is going to get um, Harley like, Quinn. That's yeah, that's such a yeah. win. That's that is a big, big that is a a big win. Uh, I know that there are some specific people who were very upset about the fact that we're getting it on linear and the U.S. isn't. Important <laughs> to emphasize, though, that uh, by getting it on Adult Swim Canada, it basically means that there will be no way to stream it in Canada at all. Probably. Um, uh, well, uh, well oh, you know what? You know you know how you'll be able to stream it. You see, you buy Prime, then you uh, buy uh, V. Technically correct. You pay and you, yeah, there's technically Some, a way to do it. Somewhat it's, correct. I mean, the problem is, is the way to stream it in Canada is going to be indicative of the forthcoming streaming hyperfraction uh, trouble that's on the horizon here. It's like yeah. this is our, this is Canada's first taste of it, where America is going to be drowning in it in the next two years. <laughs> yeah, and uh, I mean, also, I want to say that I I'm starting to think that the prospects of tsunami coming to um, Adult Swim Canada are not only very good. I think it may actually be inevitable. Uh, because Toonami is now being um, utilized for a lot of in-house stuff from Warner, uh, and and like I, I understand, there's a whole bunch of anime co-pros that Warner is basically directly involved yeah. in. Um, that you, uh, do, do we know how many? There's like of those seven are or eight. Up? Seven or eight. Yeah, and if you've um, got that much, you I mean that's basically yeah. enough to to start filling things. And then this doesn't even get into the extent to like, that's the, that's the Warner co-pros that you would go to Toonami in, in yeah. a dub form and probably Crunchyroll in a sub form. But then it's all like Crunchyroll. I still, still has a lot of stuff on the roll currently yeah. um, with, I mean, it doesn't look like the merger has impacted any of the plans to do more original content for them, both in terms of stuff being done in the States for them and, and in Japan, there seems to have been no open indications, at least that that's going to, to turn down. And I don't think, I don't think that stuff gets made for Warner. And then they're not like, we got to push that through our, our other, through the relevant adjacent things. Like, so long as it's not completely out of the tsunami adult swim line to run any of that, it would make sense to put it there in dub form. Well, the second since since it's the second it's there in that format, why wouldn't you then worth any international partner push that? And that's how you end up with a tsunami uh, yeah. on Adult Swim Canada. I mean, right right off the bat, like like in September or October, like they've got at their dispo at their we'll immediate disposal between two hours. Yeah. Oh, more probably probably more than that. I mean, they they got Harley Quinn. They yeah. got Genlock. They've yeah. got Fooly yeah. Cooly, and they'd have to license season one from from Funimation, but they've they, they I, should have direct I, access. It would to be that. amazing if they didn't, though. <laughs> I, I, I don't know. 
<laughs> it just ran progressive and alternative. Yeah. <laughs> that, I mean, would be, I, that would that be the most happen. candidate thing that would happen. Let's be real. <laughs> I mean, yeah, I, w- I wouldn't rule it out. But I mean, hey, I mean, they go season two for years and not season one. <laughs> <laughs> That'd be amazing if, like, literally all they ran was alternative because it'd be like it's the it's the least fully coolly fully coolly in some ways. Yeah, but they and they've got. Uh, I mean, even Mob Psycho 100 is something they could probably. Oh man, that would be fairly that, direct access. To. That seems like a pretty pretty reasonable bet. Yeah. And like throw in some Samurai Jack reruns. And... Yeah, well, I mean, they already that's already a significant part of their schedule. It's yeah. like. And and I'm, I'm guessing that Primal definitely probably isn't going to be part of Toonami, though, because I know no, that... Uh, no. Yeah. Well, I mean, that... Gendy Tartakovsky was not... He, he wasn't a big fan of the idea of having Samurai Jack as part of Toonami. I mean, maybe, maybe they'll have reruns of it on, um, on Toonami, but definitely not premieres. Well, I mean, and that may be... This would be another opportunity for... You know, it might be where there'd be differentiation between the U.S. and Canadian blocks. Is they'd be like, look, in Canada, you're this is what fills out the time. Yeah. Um, it, tough shit. It's getting a wrapper and bumper. Um, may you know, it's like, and he also may not care, may not know to care even. Yeah. <laughs> so, the um, and I mean, yeah. Again, again, the real question though is that I don't think it's are we going to get tsunami? It's are we going to get tsunami with any degree of third party content at all? What? Uh, to what extent does it end up aligning with the U.S. block? That's the big yeah question. Can they can they spend the money to get both U.S. and Canada rights whenever they acquire something from an outside distributor like well, Funimation? I mean, it's not even that necessarily the U. It's not even necessarily that the U.S. branch would have to do it. It's like, well, cor- can they convince Chorus to spend that money? <laughs> I mean, if they, if they can, if it's if they can make it part of their current agreement with Chorus, where like the licensing deals are made at the uh, the u.s end and mm-hmm. they they have who to, knows whatever costs come through yeah i mean yeah, you never know. i don't know what i i don't i don't know how that would wind up that, working, that shit gets but, really esoteric real fast <laughs> yeah but i mean if it's just a matter of just picking up like when a brand new show comes out that mm. they grab it at the same time as the u.s it it could develop into something manageable i don't know i don't work in licensing so i, I can't make educated uh guesses on this i'm just a pundit um but uh, yeah, it's it's some. It, I think, you know, is tsunami coming? I think that's something to keep an eye on. Probably over, probably over the next few months. I mean, the other thing, the other thing is, is if they get it, it opens up. You know, if they get it, especially if they're willing to get some third party content, they can they can break up the day a bit more. They can do. I mean, I think if you get it and you've got a twenty four hour network, it would be slick to have an afternoon tsunami block with kind of lighter weight stuff in it. Like that would be, you know, still unedited, but like stuff that isn't like it's hard TVMA because of guts and tits. Yeah, I, uh, you know, I'm I'm really hoping they get they get Food Wars. I think <laughs> if they get any third party content, that'd be that great. would be. Although, it'd be really funny if they got Food Wars and they're like, yeah, we're in Canada, we don't have to like do shit to this. Exactly. <laughs> so, <laughs> there are some there are some edits in the U.S. version, and then if they, people people would be so choked if we got Food Wars and it was like showcase style and just raw as fuck. <laughs> <laughs> Damn it, Canada got the good food wars. It's like it's barely different. What do you care? There's like it's I jokes. Think, I think the total edits that have been made amount to less than two seconds so far in the yeah. U.S. version. Not even worth Kyle Pope coming out of retirement for that. <laughs> oh boy, hey, that was a popular column. Dude, he's a nice dude. <laughs> Honestly, my understanding of the old Toonami block was largely based off of reading his edit lists, which was not a good way to understand it because you see this like it emphasizes the stuff that's cut out. But I, I had no appreciation for the stuff that was left in. 
Yeah. Mm-hmm. No, and like, I mean, he kind of like, he, even he was aware of that. Like, I, I say as a guy who's like, I hung out with Kyle Pope every day for, or every like week for like years at the local anime store. <laughs> um, yeah, like he understood that he was like, that was a certain tongue in cheek, smart ass aspect to it that maybe was lost, particularly on younger readers. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, he was not out there to make adult swim cry, just trying to make, you know, so people knew what was, what was missing and hopefully get them to then say like, Oh, I should go out and buy and engage this other oh, with the original content. Um, it's kind of cool that we don't have to like chase that. And the, like, I think he's glad that he doesn't have to sit there and like step through every frame of an episode of Dragon Ball Z. Yeah. <laughs> Even if they don't get third-party content, I'm like, I'm still hoping that someone will finally broadcast Dragon Ball Super in Canada because we are, we are. It started airing in a station in the UK, so we are somebody, now the only, no, the only major English-speaking market in the world where it's not airing on television. Some, now somebody is getting the Broly movie up here, right? Uh, Crave Linear stations are running the Broly movie That's on July 31st. So <laughs> Because our, our linear networks aren't going to be running that anytime soon. It's weird. Like it's not. It's not running on U.S. premium, but it, like randomly, Crave is getting it. It's I. I'm just going to go out on a limb and suspect this has nothing to do with any <laughs> anything bigger going on. Um, and it doesn't look like it's currently scheduled to show up streaming on the the on demand side. It could be wrong. It's not on any of the upcoming lists, but those things miss things all the time. So, yeah, who knows. It's still cool. That's that's uh that's the, the the first big Dragon Ball screening to air here. I think since um or the the first the first Dragon Ball title to air here since uh Dragon Ball GT ended. Oh, actually, I think um YTV did like run one episode of Dragon Ball Z for an anniversary event once, like for like for YTV's anniver- like thirtieth anniversary or something. They ran an episode of Dragon Ball Z, which didn't make any sense. I think since then, basically. I don't know, it's weird. Also, um, on that note, um, we, there's still no news on WoW World at all. Um, at this point, I'm, I mean, it's supposed to launch September 1st at the latest, or like August 31st at the latest. I, I think they have, um, kind of conceded that no one actually cares about how closely they follow that deadline. Um, at this point, I'm, I'm, willing to accept the possibility that it might not even happen. Yeah, I wonder if, if that got a little, you know, some of that hinged on Verve related stuff and then yeah. the Warner stuff went through and um Warner's streaming situation has gotten weirder since the last time we've talked. Thanks to HBO Max and You know, it's funny when Warner announced their service, uh, I think just a few months ago, they said the service would be coming to Canada. This was confirmed. Mm-hmm. Now, it's not so clear. In fact, I'm I'm I think it's safe to say that we know less about what Warner is going to be doing with their streaming strategy now than we did several months ago. Well, they they swerved on all the stuff that I would have thought would have made sense in what I all they picked up. It's like yeah. you've got already in set, you know, like this multi-channel streaming service kind of setup. Um, you actually have a couple of them. Like it's like here's the thing: it's weird. It's like they're not. It's not Directv. Which is, you know, here's an over-the-top linear option. It's not Verve, which is an over-the-top on-demand option with, I think, occasional live stuff. Um, no, it's some third thing yeah. because it's, HBO it is HBO Max. <laughs> uh, they they have recently confirmed is the name of their new service, which raises a whole shit ton of questions about what their actual strategy is with this. Um, 
And especially because they announced it and then they're like, it's going to have content and like they left off like with the other content from it. It's just like a shit ton of like classic Turner thing. Like it's all, it's it's all the Turner channels. Yeah. Yeah. They're going to pull in a lot of stuff from the uh, Warner and Turner and HBO libraries. Yeah. Which again, is this going to have library depth or on demand cable depth? Right. It's that kind of remains to be seen. Yeah. Yeah. Like, I would love if they put, like, all the old Cartoon Network stuff on it. Holy shit, that would, like, if they had that, I would be tempted to get a VPN to get at that shit, for fuck's (laughs) sake. Well, apparently, like, if... Well, uh, they show show the Boomerang logo during that stuff, too. So, like, if you're saying Boomerang, like, that, is it just the new stuff that's on Boomerang, or is it, like, the deep-cut Boomerang stuff, right? Yeah, and also, like, uh, well, first of all, I, I remember reading that if you have HBO, like, you already pay for HBO or HBO now, you're just, you're gonna get it by default, um, but also in the, in the in the states, yes, in the states. Um, uh, but also, um, th- what does this does this uh, what does this mean for the other streaming services they have going? There's the Boomerang one. There's DC Universe. Um, is, are there? I mean, then there's you know the Verve uh, family of streaming companies. But yeah, it's, it seems like Verve. They're saying I, like the the fact that they're doing this rather than. Using that brand or using DirecTV means it's like DirecTV is going to still be their like linear OTT play or prim- you know basically their like cable over the internet play, uh, and then like Verve is like I guess they figure it's like that nerd shit makes enough profit on its own and has a big enough audience we don't really you know they haven't felt the need to you know just stomp it out like drama fever or whatever right like they haven't um they don't seem to be mm-hmm. they seem to be it's leaving that well enough alone. So maybe that's just something they're going to let ride. But at that same time, it's like there's a bunch of stuff tied up in Verve that I'd like to see maybe be more internationally accessible. Um, though I guess a lot of that Nickelodeon library stuff that Verve has for some totally bizarre reason for now, I wonder how long that'll last now. That yeah, that's, that's, I don't, be, uh... I really don't feel that's going to be long for this world because I it would be such an easy move for Viacom to get claw that stuff back. And then all of these, uh, Viacom based linear channels that they have from uh, the full of catalog titles that they have on Pluto TV instead of that being re- region locked to the states just whoosh, everywhere um but Viacom keeps saying they're going to they're going to launch some kind of platform but they don't seem to have made yeah, any and they kind keep of selling, progress they keep selling stuff to Netflix exclusively so yeah. well i mean like the the extent to which like i said the extent to which they seem to have they've set up a platform they bought one and they've put their catalog stuff on it and that's a great move it's just locked to the states. Like if we could, if we had Pluto TV up here in Canada, it would be, we'd be laughing because they have so much great stuff on there. A channel that just runs do- old classic Doctor Who all the time. <laughs> I'd pay, like, I would legit pay for like Pluto TV is free. I would legit like if that was fifteen bucks a month, I would be. Why am I do that? Because <laughs> it's actually got a lot of shit on it. It's got like actual news channels and shit on it too. Um, you know, it's. It, I mean, this is one of those like ongoing American living in Canada bitching things. It's like, man, can't, like the States has a lot of good free content uh, in both the linear and on-demand space. And Canada is in a space. Yeah, we've got we've got CBC Gem. We got CBC, CBC Gem. Gem. That's it. CBC ah. Gem. And <laughs> hey, CBC Gem is still like the best positioned Canadian streaming service to actually be competitive in the upcoming in the. Uh, um, the 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 further fragmented um landscape where we're, we're entering oh cbc gem could actually legitimately open up it's like cbc gem should be like nhk world long time it should be canada's soft power internationally available free option frank they've, they 
Yeah, they've. I mean, they've got. They they have quite a few currently running international hits right now. Yeah. So they're they're, 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 so they're, they're well Canadian, positioned. Like they're they're well positioned to introduce Canadian stuff to the world by that. Yeah. It's literally just turn the geo lock off on the Canadian content. What's interesting about the, the, okay, so the thing about HBO Max is that they have decided to put the HBO brand center to this service, which is going to create a lot of complications for them, not only coming to Canada, but, like, internationally, because those HBO rights are all over the place. Um, oh, yeah, that's scattered. The Everybody's world. got, so, like, that, like, AT&T makes, seems to be making a lot of moves. It's like, that's a great first step for America. Now, how are you going to make that an international play? And it's just, like, international, question mark. Yeah. Well, the thing is that, like... Like, it yeah, you do realize you're playing a global game, right? <laughs> yeah. Well, I mean, obviously, they had absolutely no idea that this was the direction they were going to take this service when they made the existing deal with Crave, where Crave is essentially the Canadian version of, of HBO Now or Go or whatever. I mean, um, was this shit assembled yet? Was that still a yeah. Time Warner deal rather than AT&T Time Warner deal? Uh it's not clear. <laughs> I'm, I'm, I'm assuming, I'm guessing that that was probably in the works before the merger happened. But I mean, how long was the merger in the works for? It's, it's all, it's, it's such a big mess, and, and it's just Warner's connected to so many like crucial properties. It's, it's. Well, I mean, Warner and for like, it's one of those things where it's like, AT and T wanted to have content because Comcast has content, and they want to be in a position where they can have something to leverage against. Netflix, which is using most of their bandwidth, uh, as, as, as it is for all ISPs. Um, yeah. and that's, um, you know, I get why, but the thing is they still don't understand it's all like the reason. And despite being relatively close to a company that does understand this and owning, you know, having partial ownership of Crunchyroll for a long time and now total ownership of it. Um, this is a world game. You are playing for all the chess pieces on earth. And the idea that you can kind of set up something in the States in a market that's already fragmenting and have that, you know, thrive is not a great move. You need to be in a position where you're able to, you can't just say like, well, we're in the, we're in the richest market on earth. It doesn't matter. Like Netflix is clearly. What about China? Well, I mean, China, I mean, per capita, I'm thinking in terms of like. Probably won't be allowed in there anyway. That's yeah, they probably won't be allowed in there anyway. But I mean, it's, I mean, in terms of large markets, though, it's very interesting to see the extent to which Netflix has been much more serious about picking up content for both uh, just Asia generally, but like specifically, like they're getting Indian stand-ups to do specials for them. Like that's them knowing that like their next billion subscribers are going to come. Like the, and, and with the advantage of being like, hey, well, if you do that, you, they're still English speaking. You can still actually market that to other parts of your service. But understanding that, like, you have to aim around that kind of, uh, you know, you can't just make content for America. You have to make content for the world, and that means maybe you know tapping different uh, lines of talent. All that the Fuji TV deal with all of the hassle that that comes with that in terms of anime not turning up as soon as it should. It's all like that puts a whole bunch of content on the surface. Uh, or on the sur- uh, on the uh, surfaces content on the service um, that otherwise you know that the, 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 the regular U.S. players don't even normally think of, like you know nobody in America would have licensed Terrence uh, Terrace House, the Japanese real world, but Netflix did, and it's a brilliant move because that 
gains them market share throughout not just Japan but Asia generally and then has backflood in terms of like hey you know all those it's another thing you can recommend to your anime viewers because if they're already kind of into that culture maybe they want to get a little deeper like it's like they're playing at just a higher level of uh thought here and I you know AT&T is being good about getting Warner to synergize finally um almost too much because anything that they can't franchise they seem to be killing um, or const- constraining, um, but uh, that's not going to be enough that they're only making it for the U.S. market. That's what I'm getting at. Apparently, their big unveil, the un- unveiling of what HBO Max like will encompass and what it will be, is going to be in October. Apparently, it's going to be really uh, interesting. Yeah. The, the, now the thing is that are they if they are planning to launch this thing in Canada, like it's gonna, they're, we're either going to get this thing. With HBO Max in the name, but no actual HBO content, because Crave currently has all that stuff. Or well, that shit's getting clawed gonna... back. <laughs> Can't, I don't know if they can claw. They're going to be able to claw it back that easily. I oh, mean, they, they might. They, they might have to pay for it. But I mean, yeah. there may be outs. I, fire. I don't think that Bell is going to play play ball with that. Uh, oh, they won't be HBO, happy. <laughs> HBO is, is central to Crave. If they lose HBO, Crave is basically dead. And I guess this kind of means that uh, um, Crave is kind of, might might already uh, Crave may already be dead because uh-huh. like I, I don't I don't know how viable it's going to be without that HBO kind of. I, I mean I mean long, I mean long term gem being the more vi- being the more viable service because they have their own IPs they can fall back on. Whereas Crave they have very little uh, once you remove the HBO stuff. Because that, that that's been the recipe for their current success. And I, I don't I don't see them retaining that long term. If nothing else, they'll run the clock out. Yeah. They're not gonna like any. I mean, as it stands, just because the companies have changed hands, there may be things in the contract that let them exit. You know, existing rights agreements. Um, that's entirely plausible. That would not be weird boilerplate at all to have in these kind of contracts. Um, so as it stands, they may already be essentially on borrowed time. Uh. Certainly, it's not like the, I highly doubt any of that shit was sold in perpetuity. So it's just a matter, you know, just like how, uh, HBO, uh, Max is gonna get friends. Um, so I weird that that matters. What? Yeah. I claw that back from Netflix. Exactly. Uh, that, that's another, that's another thing. Netflix is not losing friends in Canada. Um, that's uh, still, in that's, place a little, that's a little foreseeable that's, future. That's a little. That's an interesting tell, man. Yeah. Maybe it's so, about HBO Max in Canada. Yeah. So, and, and this also like goes brings us back to the question of Verve. Are they going to expand Verve? It's still Verve is still only in the United States. Um, and yeah, I wish it, like I, like I mean, even a limited Verve, even a Verve that was like still like ten bucks a month and only had just CR but and High Dive. I'd spend up. I would spend up from. I would spend up from what I'm spending per annual CR to get CR high dive in a package. Yeah, as part but of I mean, they, and I think and, did, I, and, I, and I think they'd probably be able to throw like the Viacom stuff. I bet is probably tied up because a bunch of that stuff is. I mean, like all of that Nickelodeon stuff is available um, as part of Stack TV. Um, I watched. I got to finally watch the Hey Arnold movie. Um, it's very nice, by the way. Uh, if you if you haven't done your free trial of Stack TV. That's one reason to trial it. <laughs> there you go. Um, um, but, uh, yeah, no, because all that Viacom stuff is locked up in there. Yeah, uh, I don't see that part of, the, I don't see, I don't see that stuff staying with Verve, certain in, in the U.S., let alone internationally. 
Um, they are planning to like massively delay the launch of HBO now. La- like HBO maybe launching eight, like Max? H- sorry HBO Max. If they're planning, they are planning to massively delay the launch of HBO Max internationally. Mm-hmm. Um, I mean, they maybe like maybe they'll use Verve as a as a as a just a, a temporary. Um, I mean, way to fill to fill that void with certain things. Maybe that's optimistic of of me hoping that maybe they'll they'll have some outlet launched. I mean, it would be uh, with cartoon, that that would be able to have Cartoon Network and Adult Swim streaming because that's the only thing I really care about in the end. Um, yeah, no, I was the whole reason I would want to be suspicion we're stuck with Stack for that for a while. Well, they don't they don't even have on demand for Cartoon Network on Stack. I know, but yeah. I, I suspect that like that's as it's, that's as good as we're gonna get <laughs> yeah. for a minute. Yeah, it's uh, more questions than ever. Uh, well, I mean, this is, is this this is what this is what happens with all the shit um, fragmenting. This yeah. is what happens. You're dealing with with legacy companies that have had yeah. deals in place for decades. Well, and they, they have the pattern of like, here's how we make our money: we try and make money in our primary market, and then. What we're really hoping is we can make a lot on the back. You know, it's popular enough that we can then re-license it everywhere else, but we then just get big sacks of money for that license up front, and then it's everybody else, you know, in terms of that company making a profit on it. That's on whoever we licensed it to, but we're already in the clear. And you see that in Viacom willing to sell the other two of their uh, Nick classic reboot movies to... Netflix is that's just sort of saying like, you know what? It's way easier for us just to get this bag. We're done. We're in the black. You guys figure out how to make money on it. We don't care. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And there's a couple of upcoming TV movies based on some of their current shows, like the Lad house and rides of the teenage mutant Ninja turtles. Yeah. And that's like even more surprising. Cause like, those are the ones that should be easy for them yeah. to, to uh, make work. And instead they're like, mm, nah, like, I wonder to what extent, like, Viacom is, Viacom's sort of, like, in a weird position of, they now have, like, a great access into many homes by having, uh, Pluto. Like, anybody can suddenly consume linear. Yeah, but how many people use Pluto or know about Pluto? Yeah, it's true. It's still, it's still pretty niche. But I mean, the thing is, they could build that into something that basically bypasses all, any sort of, cable stuff and they can just sell ads on it and they could make it run internationally. But at the same time, they could just easily say like, we're a production studio. We're just going to set, we're just going to make shit and sell it to like Netflix or Amazon or whatever. And just get our rely like for as an older media company, does it just simply make more sense for them to think in terms of what's a secure bag, uh, just making something that we sell. Yeah. The, but the, the trend with, these streaming services have been that if something is not well, if a brand is not well known or recognized, a company is more more likely just to scrap that service and create a new one from scratch with a new brand, um, or completely or just do some kind of relaunch or something. And and the thing is that most people had no, have never heard of Pluto at all. They only bought that this year. Oh, I mean, because oh, it, oh, it okay, would have okay. been an independent thing, so they only bought that you know this year, and they've. Been incredibly aggressive in the United States in using all of their legacy brands and content to the extent where there's a Spike TV exclusive Pluto channel with all the old Spike TV content. Like they understand that, like, hey, uh, people marathon stuff. Maybe we can just have channels marathon and given stuff, and and we'll just put whatever ads we want. Uh, we can sell during it. Um, but like I said, part of the problem is, is that yeah, I think it's still very U.S. focused. Like the, their selection up here in Canada is incredibly limited, uh, on, like it's like not even 
a tenth as many channels. And uh, so long as that's the case, um, okay, you're playing an interesting game in America, which already has great depth in just over-the-air sub-channel access, let alone other free on-demand uh, solutions. And so, like, it's, you're you're competing in a competitive market rather than, like, nobody seems to be uh, looking for the open spaces here yet. Yeah. Well, the, I mean, we keep talking about how the market's going to completely stratify and everything's going to everything eventually is going to every everything we find on streaming is eventually just going to be hosted directly by the company that that owns it um but it's just things are as Corey mentioned things are so tied up in decades of yeah. existing agreements um like i don't think we're actually going to see that reality well, i think canada is going to be the slowest to get it too because we have our oligopoly up here things are going to be really things are going to be yeah, things are going to be really messy mm-hmm. as a result of that, which is not necessarily a bad thing because it seems that when things are messy, we we tend to get access to more stuff. Well, also a whole bunch of the shit's going to fail. Like a whole bunch of this direct stuff yeah, is going to yeah. just shit die. Like that's not even a question. <laughs> and we we keep talking about how messy all this stuff is, and then there's of course the big elephant in the room, which is Disney Plus, which is going to be. I mean, you know, it's possible that that people are overestimating that service a little. How bit. international are they going to be able to be versus? Disney, of course, has plenty. Extremely Disney, of course, has, yeah. has has of course plenty of its own existing agreements. So, how much, how different is each country's Disney Plus going to be based on? Yeah. Oh, but we already sold the rights to you know Toy Story for the next six years to somebody broadcast, right? I think they've been. I think they've been waiting they've, I, I, for a yeah, lot of that. I think stuff they've to tried to. Yeah. I think that's part of why they've um, put this off so long, is they really do want to avoid that as much as possible, but. I'll I mean, be like, still yeah, curious like to see how it lands. Guy and, and like Bob's Burgers, they got to wait for the next decade before exactly. they goes back. But they've got Simpsons, though. Yeah. And, well, the, the company um, that owned all the rights to yeah. that is was in the Fox family, so they were just they're gonna they're gonna nuke that Simpsons World app or whatever it's called, and just uh, bring everything back to Disney Plus. Yeah. Which will actually make it available outside of the United States for streaming. Not that I have any plans to subscribe to Disney Plus at all. Um, but yeah, I mean, we're, I think we're gonna, that's the thing about Disney Plus is we're gonna see an incredible amount of consistency between what's available in every country. Cause they're gonna have so many original productions right out the gate on that. Uh, they've already clawed back the rights to numerous things. Pr- pretty much all the important stuff, you could say. Um, and then, you know, the most important stuff, like their their central library of films, I don't think they ever really let a lot of that stuff out, um, or at least not for very long. So, you know, we're, we'll wait and see. I, I, As it goes back in the vault. Yeah. But, but yeah, we'll... Uh, well and I, and then we get, again, I, I think... And I guess we still have more tech companies getting in this, because there's Apple's thing, which, again, commissions stuff from many of these different studios. So, yep. you know, does Apple... Uh, start having to like make like Netflix and vertically integrate, which you know, at which point does you know, you know, Amazon has its own studios thing and offices in LA. I mean, does that become an Apple thing to do too? Uh, are they able to just because you have you know, like, are they able to just capitalize on the old media companies like Viacom being like, fuck it, I'll sell it to you? I mean, it's the next like two or three years are going to be weird. And it's going to be annoying because there's inevitably going to be things that you want to watch and you're going to be like either in Canada that may not literally be available um, above board uh, easily 
or you're going to be like in the States, all of this stuff will have an option, but you're going to be like, so how many streaming services do I need? <laughs> how, how easy or hard is it to cancel them so that you can like, Oh, they've dropped a new season on this app. I'm going to subscribe for the month and then kill it. <laughs> yeah. But I, I, that's another thing is that in a lot of the commentary you see about the future streaming services on like tech stuff, like tech sites and stuff, People seem to be operating under this assumption that eventually everyone's only going to want to subscribe to one thing, which is not correct at all. Because, um, like, you know, we had we saw Netflix recently falter with their with their um, not drop in subscribers. Great slowing. Um, well, actually, no, they they did drop in subscribers domestically. Yes. Not globally. It caused their stock to fall a lot, actually. Well, because because yeah. all of their stock it, is it built did. on this future expectation it. that they will be television, and to any extent to which that's not true, that's going to take that that energy out of the stock. Yeah, but I still think that the, the I still think the idea that you know Netflix is fal- falters makes any kind of falter, and then suddenly everyone's just going to drop it and subscribe to Disney Plus instead. Um, that narrative is ridiculous. Uh, obviously, we shouldn't underestimate Disney Plus, but. Yeah, Netflix is in a really weird kind of position right now because on one hand, I I want to kind I kind of want to root for them because they are they're still the disruptor. They're the ones like who are all these, taking on the all these the companies helped but create it, them, and now that they've become what they are, they want to take all their stuff back. Yeah. Oh, you you've know? proved that this works, and now we want to like gut you. The question is, is that <laughs> okay? So you yeah. took it all back? Where? Uh, just America. So who's making the other like six billion dollars, six billion people's worth of money? Uh, Netflix, stupid. But the thing is that if Netflix were to somehow vanish, uh, we we'd definitely be be worse. Well, off. Vanish, like, vanish would get but, bought out. Um, yeah, they would get. Go ahead. Sorry. I said, if anything, they would get bought out. They get bought out for their technology, probably yeah. by another technology company. Like Netflix doesn't vanish. Netflix becomes an Alphabet company or an Apple company. Um, because the the odds of them letting uh, any other kind of integration happen, I think in the U.S., like I think in terms of a media company buying it, it's like would, I don't think I don't think Disney or Warner or Comcast could be would be allowed to buy them. Um, I guess that kind of leaves Sony or Viacom. I think those are pretty slim ideas as well. Netflix is worth more than Viacom on exactly. Wall Street. Exactly. <laughs> That's not going to yeah. happen for that reason. Yeah. Netflix so it's would like, buy so, Viacom. Yeah, which I could, I, oh, I could see that happen. That I would actually be, be a great combination happened, because then they'd have, uh, you know, uh, a, a, a whole studio system that's and and library that would basically leave them, uh, in a solid place. I'd let Viacom merge back with CBS first and also maybe pick up Discovery Scripts, but um, that would be a way better thing for for Netflix to eventually buy. Uh, in an incredibly leveraged way, probably. <laughs> yeah, but I mean, you also have Netflix just making questionable decisions, decisions about, and or even bleeding their own properties. Like we just saw with Tuca and Birdie uh, the other day when they made the highly controversial decision to cancel that show after one season. Yeah, that's uh, yeah, and, that took me completely by surprise. Yeah. Well, and then it's like, well, what do you mean we didn't like tell anybody? I'm like, well. <laughs> Well, they search their Twitter feed for the words Tuca and Birdie, and it doesn't show up very much. Yeah. Yeah. 
Well, I mean, even if you, even if it's sort of like they looked at their algorithm and it's like, oh, this is only playing in one region and we need it to be more of an international or whatever. It's all like, yeah, but here's your problem. And I mean, your own algorithms say to do this. It's like, you gotta at least run two. Like, well, yeah, I mean, I'm, Tuka and Birdie, I'm pretty confident will probably get rescued by another company. Like, I think yeah. long term, like, if Netflix really does sort of say, like, we always cancel when it's like algorithmically optimal for us. It's so easy for somebody to beat you over the head with your own move if it's the same move every time because the move is then just saying, oh, did you not lock that down in perpetuity? Oh, well, then we're going to pick up season six. Oh, you don't have those creators on an exclusive deal for any shows afterwards. We're going to grab those creators from you and you're going to become a and creators aren't going to want to deal with you because they're going to be paranoid. They're always going to get canceled after two seasons. Like if they can't, if they follow too much of a pattern, it will kill them. Like that's the thing that can hurt Netflix the most is just saying like, we follow this sort of, you know, we have our, our version of the syndication rules and we follow that blindly and we don't inspire any loyalty by the rest of our behavior. Then like creatives will avoid them. Um, at least in terms of any sort of second show, like they'll get their initial Netflix check and then they'll be like, peace, like Disney's offering me more to leave. And they've, cause they've said three seasons, not two. Mm-hmm. Oh, speaking of Netflix screwing up things, Ava. <laughs> <laughs> I was just going to say, that's, uh, um, I want, I rewatched DOE. It's beautiful in HD. Like, that's nice. I mean, certainly compared to the manga entertainment DVD yeah. we've been stuck with for 15 years, yes. <laughs> um, yeah, I, I actually, I, uh, I have not watched Ava. I did go back and watch Gunbuster when, uh, when, when, when Netflix launched Ava. Um, I, have you watched, did you watch the new dub or just the new, I watched, uh, the new I watched, sub, I watched, I watched, uh, I watched one, I watched episode one of the new dub and it's, same. yeah, eh, it's just it's yeah. like, it feels like what I feel like a lot of modern dubs are, they're like, a lot of modern, there's like, a lot of dubs now are good and, but they're just good where like, there doesn't feel like a lot of personality is under no any character, character to it. That makes sense. Like, it's like, they usually, they'll, a lot of the dubs now are non-union. They're L.A. They pick from a smaller pool of actors than ever, it seems. Mm-hmm. And a lot of the voices are just kind of there. Like, I don't I don't know how to describe it. Like, they're, it's not bad, but it doesn't feel like... It's not lively. Tell, it doesn't get over... It's not the acting apart from yeah. person to person. Like, you can say a show that kind of lends itself to more personality, like JoJo's Bizarre Adventure. Like, that that dub's amazing. Yeah. <laughs> no, it's like, yeah. the last thing Ava needs is a flat dub, because it's already ambient in other fashions. So to have a dub that just kind of is, like, there, um, mm-hmm. doesn't service it that well. They didn't do a bad job. It's a perfectly serviceable dub. I think yeah. the translation stuff's a bit overblown, um, especially yeah. in an era where you can always reference back. I think the bigger problem was, is it distracted from any sort of additional contextual thought on the show because we're just like bitching about the process yeah and the the thing is that everyone like so much of this ultimate like so much of the the ava discourse that we wound up with just wound up being like the character assassination of dan kenamitsu on social media which was horrendous um and what what blew my mind what blew my mind about that was that people talk about him like he's nobody like he's just some schmuck that netflix hired to to make a new ava translation when he's actually like one of the foundational people for you know, bridging the gap or, or translating anime going back to like the late 80s and, and bridging the gap between um, yeah. Japanese studios and, and American studios and he, he is like Kara's he's Kara's guy he's yeah. 
Yeah, he's he's friends with those guys. If anyone knows like what their intention was when they were developing Evangelion, it's him. Uh, he is he he's been on. He was the uh, the guy who shouts, "Mr. President, watch out!" in Penguin Drum. <laughs> he's part of he's part of that that whole social group. So he's 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 not nobody, and everyone talked about him like he was just some some weirdo that Netflix hired, and that that was just so so shitty. People people are people are awful. Yeah, I mean, well, I think the other thing that then got lost in that was the the extent to which it's all like, you know, what the other reason why there wasn't a whole lot of new Ava discourse, like I think even in the vacuum of that, if they just literally put the old ADB stuff up, one, some people probably would have spent a bunch of time complaining about that, but two, yeah. Um, yeah, Ava has had a huge impact on anime since to the point where it's all like a bunch of other shows have kind of run through the same story beats and buildings Roman kind of better, kind of tighter than Ava. So it's like the extent, yeah. you know, it's, it's the idea that like a whole new generation of people are going to see this and have their mind blown. So I'm like, not if they saw fully, fully first. Like, so, you know, I mean, I've seen like Monica Magica. Yeah. Or, or, uh, some of the, yeah, some of the later. Yeah, Maybe. but I mean, I mean, I mean, for a while, Gainax just did that story again and again and again with like refinement, because like Fully Coolie's basically the same beats. Even Abeno Bashi's the same beats. Even Mohoro Maddox's first season's the same beats. It's what they did for a while, and in that we, we've seen there's been the discussion to have that additional context, and other fans just like newer fans are just going to take that for granted because that's just woven in the background as, as like a side beat to other newer stories. <laughs> and also, I think people were overestimating how much interest newer fans exactly. would have in Evangelion. Like, I'm sure, like, there's a huge subset of of fans who are into retro anime and you know, well, I mean, yeah, also the idea that somehow stuff. newer fans they, were never going to be able to see it yeah. because there wasn't an official release. Fuck out of here! Yeah, You're kidding me? Yeah, the um, like the, that crowd, from what I could tell, like a lot of them watched it and, and enjoyed it. People who are closer to our age who didn't watch Evangelion initially went and watched it and like the, the reception's been good, but it hasn't, it hasn't been this like huge thing. Yeah. So, yeah. Um, it does that story well. It does it better yeah. than many of the people who tried to ape it. Well, I mean, the one thing I got out of it was when I rewatched it and then I thought of it like, like, oh, Franks was also lifting these beats from Ava. Like the, oh, Ava also so does touch on those parts. <laughs> yeah, no, no, I was, I think in terms of really, recent, it runs even deeper than you thought it did. It's like, Oh, it's um, even more from that and got it even wronger than I thought. And that's what, that was my takeaway from Ava was like, Oh, uh, Frank's was worse than I thought it was. Shit. I always already thought it was bad, but I guess it was even worse. <laughs> and keep in mind, we're also talking about the new English translation. Yeah. They, uh, Kara and Netflix produced uh, new translations in just, just about every language, yeah. and the apparently results were, were apparently very, very bad. Yeah, so apparently, um, a lot of like the Italian one was like a complete yeah. disaster. They had to pull it, so it's like the Italian one was apparently incomprehensible. It didn't even make sense in Italian. It was like a complete, it was a complete grammatical well, nightmare. You use um, Japanese grammar with Italian words, and it, and Romance languages can't be rearranged that way. English, you can English, you can do some goofy phrasing like that because we will flip things around a lot more. Uh, romance languages do not. No, it's verboten. Yeah. Don't do that. <laughs> and also, the the English translation was probably the basis for most of those international probably. translations as well, which not does not no, not yeah. good. Um, all right, so I think <laughs> yeah, so I think we got to wrap it up. Uh, did you guys have any other thoughts to share on on Ava or anything streaming Current. Adult Swim Canada, Kyo Annie, or anything before we wrap up? Wait, what what are you guys watching currently? Uh, um, I don't have much time to watch anime these days, and I just I'm not watching a lot of TV in general. Um, I'm watching. I'm watching the new Fate thing about Waver. Uh, that I cannot even remember the title of it. 
Uh, that's been it's been pretty entertaining so far. Um, I'm watching New Fruits Basket. Same, it's good. Yeah, consistently good. Uh, I watched the first episode of the Mom Show. Same. Uh, do you love Do you love your mom and her two hit multi target attacks? I did not plan on watching the second episode, uh, but when I saw to the horrendous horny depths that that episode apparently went to, I had to go and watch it. I haven't um, had the chance to watch know. the second terrible episode yet, but I think I will just so that I can have have watched it and say like, "Wow, this is a train wreck," and then be done. <laughs> but we gotta we gotta wait for the Blu-ray release, which is you know probably going to be uncensored too. Oh. Better. <laughs> um, and also the mom the mom show is going to have uh, short OVAs on each of the home video releases. Oh, well, those will so. be bad. Those will be really terrible. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> I like how like there was um, this like narrow window where people thought like this might be a real interesting deconstruction of Isekai. Psych. You thought hey, at least they they it got right it got right to the point. Yeah, they didn't they, episode, they didn't bullshit so. anybody. Yeah, <laughs> I was shocked to see that no one was really talking about Attack on Titan this season because it was really good. Mm. A, lot of, a lot there was a lot of fighting or the, a lot of fighting Titans and a lot of big reveals. They got to the basement and we got the backstory. They got the backstory books. Mm. Yeah, I I have. I, I haven't really watched it since season one. I probably should get back to it. I know there's been a lot of controversy about like the the handling of the uh, um, like the uh, like Holocaust imagery and stuff. Which well, and just are, also like, that like as people have learned more about the author, yeah. they're like, eee. well, <laughs> it's it's not really clear. I think uh, apparently a lot of the from people who have followed yes. uh, Corey would be we would be in a better position to comment on that. But it seems that it's more a case of uh, um. Of, of just uh, a careless use of that kind it's of imagery, bit, rather than it's trying a bit to... insensitive. It, like, yeah, it's a bit insensitive, like the, the way they use like you know, armbands and and. Uh, but I I don't like like there's not like for example like it doesn't come off as like he's 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 a Nazi apologist or anything yeah. like that. It's it just it should, well, it should have been like the 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 story these tragic stories should have been like handled with a bit a little more yeah. care. Mm-hmm. Yeah, most of the most of the negative discourse I have noticed coming out of Attack on Titan is from people who are clearly not actually following it yeah. and are taking things out of context and and jumping on it. Yeah, I uh, maybe I'll get caught up on Attack on Titan at some point. And uh, one one more show, uh, Oh Maidens in Your Savage Season. That's the uh, that is the best show of the season so far for sure. Yeah, I think I need to high dive. Yeah. Um, but yeah, I uh, I highly recommend that the new Mario Kata. Uh, well. Written, based on a manga by written by Mario Kata. It's it's really good stuff. Mm-hmm. Yeah, but we we gotta wrap up. Uh, so yeah, where can uh where can folks find you guys on social media, Corey? Well, uh, I have a Twitter account. It goes uh by the handle my anime waifu, which uh if you know how to spell the spell that all together, uh go ahead and try and find me. Maybe one of these days I'll just use my name or something. But um try. Yeah, to, I feel oh, bad that I I feel oh, bad oh, that oh, I gave you that nickname. And Carl? Uh, Carl R. Olson. And I'm not going to say whether to use a K or O-S-O-N or E-N. You just got to guess which Carl R. Olson I am. It's pretty obvious, though, <laughs> on Twitter and everywhere else. I, I, I keep thinking that your handle's Ultra Kalystron, but... Um, just, I, I just, just use it for the screen name. I should yeah, actually... Right. I should honestly probably register that at some point. Because people, yeah. people will try and at me and be like, uh... Nah... <laughs> And Carl, of course, uh, for, uh, made the theme song for this show. Yeah, actually, actually dropped it from a bass album, I guess, wide release yeah. this month. So, yeah, go download whatever I named that. <laughs>
Uh, the, the theme song is on his album Packet Flood, and you can find that at ulcerclystron.com. Uh, you can find me on Twitter at jbetteridge or email me zonncanada at gmail.com. Please subscribe to the show, Apple Podcasts, Google Play Music, or your podcast app of choice, and I'll see you again. Thank you.